0: This is Michael Osterlink. and welcome to o radio where we explore individual and social transformation through collaborative action. I'm a psychotherapist with a transpersonal and somatic specialization. I'm also a transpartisan social entrepreneur and head instructor at on Unbeatable Mind Academy. Today's show is brought to you by Resilience Parenting, where martial arts instructors Chris and Holly Santillo share the insights they have gained as teachers and parents. They offer positive alternatives to lectures, bribing, and punishment focusing instead on the three pillars of learning, integrity, and service. encourage you guys to check out their book at resilienceparenting.info. Today's guest for O-Radio is Jeff Grant. Welcome back, Jeff.
1: Hey, happy to be here.
0: It's uh, great to see you. So Jeff is a coach, author, and ultra-endurance athlete. He's passionate about helping people overcome adversity and tapping into their flow state performance zones. Jeff has written several books on mind training and running, including – flow state runner activate a powerful inner coach's voice and hill running survive and thrive in 25 years of ultra endurance sports he has completed and coached athletes to finish some of the toughest events on the planet including desert and mountain ultra marathons iron man triathlon seal fit kokoro and long distance open water swims these events have spanned the extremes of heat cold sleep deprivation and stress He's a Swiss-American living in Zurich. He enjoys swimming in the Swiss lakes year-round. He's crazy. Even when that means cutting into ice to get in. I've seen pictures. It's nuts. Uh, some of his latest projects include two new books, which he'll he'll talk about today, as well as giving talks on anti-burnout and also teaching yoga retreats. Great to see you, as I said earlier, Jeff. Busy man.
1: Yeah, yeah, but uh, loving life. Super happy.
0: Yeah, you, you look really happy. It's great to see you. So, you know, we were just talking before we hit record and you were actually on my show half a dozen years ago, if not more than that. Um, Actually, I even think longer than that. And at that time, you came on to talk about your transition from the corporate space, the rat race, to the life you are now living as an amazing coach, traveling around the world, working with some amazing people, taking them through, you know, reaching their their goals, uh, aspirational living becoming amazing athletes through some of these crazy races that you teach people to get through. Um, Can you, and just for folks who maybe have listened to that, but don't necessarily know what you're up to now, can you kind of walk us through since last time we spoke on air uh, six or so years ago, you know, what, what's the evolution of of Jeff Grant from corporate creature to coach?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I gotta say it's, it's, always a work in progress. <laughs> there's, there's, there's never an, an easy way uh, to, to know what this journey is supposed to look like. There's no guidebook for it. Uh, when I decided, it, it was 10 years ago, I decided uh, I wanted to leave a job, a corporate job I had, and I wanted to dive fully into coaching. I didn't know what that meant. And this was really this was the beginning of the days of of CrossFit. This was the beginning of uh, really thinking about mind training as uh, or like we do now, at least in um, in the work that we do. So I, I had no idea. I just said I want to work in coaching, and I gave up a good stable income and and I said, okay, let's let's figure out how this how this kind of business looks. And uh, I think I might have shared the story uh, when we last talked uh, that. At the beginning, I had one client and I was happy to have one client. It was a, an endurance athlete. And I think she paid me something like $125 a month. So that was, like, the income for month one was, was $125. And my company called I ended the corporate job. They said, hey, will you come back as a contractor uh, and come back for just a few months? Like, we'll pay you really well. And, and back then I thought, if I come back for a few months, I'll stay. And I really think I, I decided not to come back. And had I, stay, had I gone back, I'd probably be there now. Like, I really think that it's that temptation, the, the security, the income, and, and I, I wouldn't have done, uh, I wouldn't have chased the dream that I always wanted to chase.
0: Uh,
1: so I, I did it. I made the jump and eventually had yeah, built up more clients, eventually get, was motivated to create my own gym. Uh, and, and that was probably around the time that, that we started talking when I I'd built up a a good gym business in the early days of of CrossFit, at least in Switzerland. Uh, And I was doing a lot of work for SealFit. I was traveling back and forth. Uh, And I really went into a a period of life then where I said yes to every opportunity. If I had a chance to do a motivational speech, yes. If it was a team building, yes. Uh, Any chance I had to coach anywhere, whether I was paid by the hour or paid for the week, I said yes. Uh, and after some years of doing that, uh, it just, it became very difficult to juggle everything. And I felt like I was super, super busy and not really moving forward. I was happy as a coach, uh, but it, it, I wasn't really creating the income I wanted. I wasn't really doing things I thought in a smart way uh, to make it sustainable. It was fun, but to make it sustainable. Uh, and I was just frying myself trips to california nine hour time difference and then trying to run right back in and and, uh, and manage the gym business and meet with people and do corporate uh, corporate kind of jobs uh, do it with motivational speaking it was just uh, it got to be i think a bit too much and at let the same me, time let I me also like, add let yeah. me add
0: to that too though because not only from zurich to california but you're also traveling to Thailand, you're, you're into the whole yoga scene there as well. So you're, you're globally traveling all over the place. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it was a bit. And I was doing some charity work in Malawi. So I was in, in Africa a lot. Right? So there were a period of years that, that it was, uh, my suitcase was always packed. Yep, Always doing things I loved, whether it was charity work or, or teaching or learning yoga. And this is something I kind of skipped over. Uh, there was a huge learning phase I had to do. Uh, I had I had the passion, and I had a lot of experiences in life, uh, but I I didn't have a lot of the the structured knowledge uh, at the beginning at least. So there were a lot of training courses, and and I mean yoga, meditation, a lot of fitness things. There was a lot of education that was happening at the same time. I was trying to actually uh, teach, learn, learn to be a coach by continuing to to try to make myself better and. If
0: I remember correctly, it was Yin Yoga that you were studying in Thailand. Now you teach in Thailand, which is yeah, cool. Is yeah,
1: yeah. You know, as a as a ultra endurance athlete, I was I was good at going hard <laughs> and doing crazy sports, yeah. uh, and I loved yoga from from back in the '90s when I started doing yoga. I always uh, found a lot of yeah uh, you know, flexibility and mind stillness in yoga. There were a lot of things from the earliest days, uh, and Uh, me experiencing yoga that i really loved Um, but i i'd always done hard yoga i was like yeah handstands yeah hard arm balances yeah like a very challenging yoga practice that would that would calm my mind Um, but it wasn't calming my body like i needed it to and it wasn't creating that the balance that i needed with with all the hard work so when i found the yin style of yoga uh, my body actually responded I, I, my flexibility improved better than it had for years of doing a harder practice of yoga. And I found it very calming.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you a question. You, you, and I'll paraphrase, you talked about kind of the tension between saying yes to everything, <laughs> traveling around, doing the training, teaching, you know, coaching, giving talks all over the globe. And and what I'm hearing you say is more recently, you're like, no, you know, I did a lot of really cool stuff. I learned a lot. I helped a lot of people but I wasn't moving forward like I wanted to, which I would imagine require you more no's and yeses. But I'm, I'm kind of curious about that because I wonder if that's a, a natural tension that's required for almost everyone on this kind of lifestyle design path that you, you couldn't start with no's. You actually almost have to say yes at the very beginning for a certain period of time for the process and then get to the point where you're able to say no and have stronger yeses. Or do you think it would have been actually possible for you at the very beginning to like, no, I don't want to do everything. I'm gonna be, you know, a little bit clear on my boundaries, and say no more.
1: It's a great question, and you know, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. I borrowed that quote. And uh, oh, at the beginning, I needed the work, and I needed the, I needed the growth experiences, I needed the learning experiences, uh, and I also needed to experience being overloaded and a bit. Event- a bit burned out. Yeah. And a lot of those, the, the moments of uh, feeling overwhelmed with a coaching business, I, I use that as information to try to help people now. So I think there is a buy-in. There's a period of time and it may be a cycle. I could, we, our next conversation uh, could be another discussion on having a period of overload and having to yeah. make decisions. Um, but for me, I knew I wanted to write. Yeah. Uh, I really, really wanted to write my first book, and this is going back a few years. Uh, I really, really wanted to give corporate talks to be a motivational speaker, and I'd done that kind of as a, as a hobby, and, and, but never really as a profession. Uh, and I wanted to work with, uh, with a smaller group of people and try to make a bigger impact in their lives. So uh, I'd spent a lot of years you know, telling people to do push-ups and to go running and, and coaching them at their side, and I still love that work. Uh, but I wanted to move into the mentoring and just helping them more in the, the big picture of life. And that was the goal. And I had reached a moment where I realized the only way to get there was to trim some, some to start saying no, just trim yeah. some, some things away. And uh, I'd sold my gym. I yeah. reduced the number of people I was coaching. Uh, I essentially cut to write the book. I, my first book, I cut my income almost to zero. Uh, and then I wrote a book not as a famous you know, novelist who's gonna get a, a publisher to you know, give them a, what, a retainer or whatever for a year. I, I just wrote it and hoped it would turn out, Hope I would finish and it would turn out <laughs> as a good book and then I would sell a few copies and maybe it would open some doors.
0: How did you deal with that, that the space of the unknown? I mean, to almost bring your income down to zero so you write your book almost sounds like a deep calling you know, from inside out, but a lot of lack of security there. How did you deal with that, that unknown space?
1: Oh, it's funny. I, I, the, if you ask me during the moment, on days when I was writing well, I would say, hey, it's easy, you, you follow your passion. And if you wanna write, write. And then on the two months or so uh, that I would just shut down and, and, and I'd write two chapters and then I would have two months where I would get nothing done with the book, I would say it's a terrible feeling. I made a horrible mistake. I need to get all the clients back and start saying yes again. And there was really a wave okay. uh, that I waves I kept going through until I was about 80% finished with the book. Uh, and then I got a phone call. And it's funny because something similar happened when I, when I left the corporate world, I get a phone call and now I'm starting to panic. Cause I've been without much of an income for a large part of a year. Uh, and it's from a, a colleague from an old job and he had a startup and wanted me to come work in the startup. And he's, you know, I'll give you stock and blah, 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 money. And, and I thought, well, here we go again. Like I, I have decided I want to do something for myself and my life. And now this temptation has shown up. It's, it's money. It's an income. It's doing what I don't want to be doing anymore. Do I take it? Or do I say no? And in this case, I said, hey, thanks so much. Maybe I'll call you in a few months, but I have to finish this book. I said I'm 80% finished with the book. I think I can finish in another month. Well, I was honestly probably 50% finished, but that created motivation to push through another two months of writing, uh, and I finished it. I got it done, and it really didn't matter how well it sold or what happened next. Like when I when I got the book, uh, I, there was a they dropped off a shipment of books outside the house, and I ran outside and I grabbed the book. <laughs> and I, like, oh. I looked. Uh, I, funny story I looked at the book and it was misprinted the pages were all off Uh, oh my god I had this moment of excitement when I saw the book I wrote actually in print and then this moment of panic a few days before the the launch party in Zurich when I saw that it had been the pages were just uh, moved off to the side and it was one box of several boxes that were off so I had to go through all the books and figure out which ones were misprints but it's funny this huge joy and then Oh, no. Holy God. (laughs) But I felt like it made the the whole journey to to get to the point of having something you want to produce, you're passionate to produce, it made it all worth it.
0: You know, it's it's interesting because when I'm hearing you talk about that story, it sounds like the hero's journey. And on that path, there's always temptations to pull you off your own path.
1: Yeah.
0: And you fought fought against those temptations. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, And, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, I mentioned two of your books, but you also have two books that you have coming out relatively soon. Are you allowed to share anything about them with us?
1: Yeah, yeah, I can, I can share a little bit about that. And um, the, the, I just finished, which will be book four. It's called Running Heavy. And this is a book that's inspired by me being an overweight kid. Hmm. And, and I was, I was always, I, I don't know if you remember this, do you remember Husky Jeans?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I don't have husky jeans anymore. But as a '70s kid, the, this, us larger kids, we would wear husky jeans. And I remember, like, I'd, I'd get my mom would buy my husky jeans, and I was always kind of embarrassed that I had these a little bit wider jeans. I, I was a big kid. I played center in football. Uh, and then in in uh, junior high, when I was 12, 13 years old, I was starting to get conscious about my size, uh, and I really wanted to be less overweight, I wanted to be athletic. And I joined the wrestling team and I was terrible. I, I really, I was not a very good wrestler at all, but I, I did the conditioning work and part of that was running. And I, it was at that time, I really started to love running, but I was a heavy kid. And uh, the movie Vision Quest was out then. And this was a, a wrestling movie. This is a, and this, the, the guy would train in plash, uh, plastic trash sacks, the so garbage sacks to sweat more. This was the, the thinking that, and you could make weight. And for guys who were seriously competing and trying to go down a weight class, that made sense. For a 13-year-old, not very good at wrestling, there was no reason to be doing this at all. But I would plod through my neighborhood, overweight, in my sweatpants, and covered up in my plastic sack, so I would sweat more. Uh, and I, I, I fell in love with running as a teenager then. And, from then on, it's been something that's been important to my life, uh, but I've also been very sensitive to what it's like uh, to be overweight. And coming out of college, I gained a lot of weight. Uh, I became very inactive, and I decided I needed to lose weight, and I did that with, with running and getting into triathlons, marathons, and ultimately ultramarathons. Uh, so this this journey of being an overweight runner is something I always wanted to write about to try to uh, encourage teens and anyone with with extra weight on their body to safely get into running,
0: I have, I have to imagine too that it's, it's also metaphorical, because uh, you know at least a lot of uh, overweight folks that I've worked with therapeutically or in the coaching space, you know, they carry a lot—not just physically weight—they carry a lot of baggage, emotional, mental baggage. Yes. So I have to imagine that you know there's also that piece as well that you've accounted for yourself for your own growth and development. But also, you know, when you train folks who might start overweight and they're working towards losing that weight.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I I like to think of it as um, you, you can be running with extra internal weight, so weight on your body. You can mm-hmm. be running with extra mental weight, so the stories, uh, the stress, yeah. whatever it is in life uh, that it's hard to to let go of. Um, And then kind of on the the tactical athlete end, you can be running heavy in weight vest, you can be running heavy pushing sleds and dragging things. So uh, those are the three elements that I write about in this book. And then I provide training plans and uh, just some motivation, inspiration uh, for people that, that fit into those, the categories of an athlete or anyone wanting to push, pull, or carry more weight are just probably the more typical, having the mental weight or the weight on the body.
0: Uh, speaking of uh, carrying weight long distances while running i i recall videos you you have done uh at one point for sealford i believe um running in the mountains right in switzerland yeah 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 that's awesome
1: yeah i've done I've done some fun things with weight vests and and rucksacks and i i, I love the mountains i'm a mountain guy and and uh, when i lived in the u.s i always loved being in the mountains doing things ever since i was a kid i loved being in the in the woods, in the mountains. And I, and I'm still super happy if I can be hiking, running or doing anything in the mountains.
0: Nice. And so you, that was one book you're soon to be released, but you mentioned there there's two books.
1: Yeah. So this, I, I did something a little different uh, this time before I even finished the book project I was on, I started on the next one. And I've learned this about myself that, that, cause this, will, I'm working on book five now. So, uh, I have a cycle. There's a time of year when I'm productive writing and a time when it's just wasting my time for me to try to write. So, coming into the winter cycle works. And last year, I made good progress on on a book and then lost motivation coming out of the winter. So, this time I decided to start early and go hard. And I got one project finished and decided to immediately start on the next one to leverage. Uh, and I jumped right into the next project. And this is a book on ultra running. And it's similar to some things I've written about in Flow State Runner, but very specific to the world of uh, training for and racing and ultra marathons.
0: Nice. Uh, do we have dates that you expect these to be released where people can check them out?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to be announcing a, a December release for the Running Heavy book.
0: Oh, nice. That's well, soon. And, cool. and
1: it, yeah, yeah. And it could be that it's for, that's for an online and ebook release. Uh, and not long after the ultra running could happen. And I just say that with a smile because uh, I need to be writing for the next two weeks to finish it. So it's, it's outlined and a lot of it's written, but it's, uh, I can't commit until I actually finish the work. But it's, it's uh, I've got good momentum going.
0: Well, seeing you on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you're obviously an amazing athlete. You've done some amazing uh, challenges for yourself, the swims, the ultra marathons, et cetera, et cetera. So physically, you know, you're, you're a stud. I'll say that nicely. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are. Yeah, okay, I'll say that. Uh, but I'm curious, like, what do you do internally? What are your, your, what's the inner work you do that helps you match your athletic abilities?
1: Uh, good. Very good question. I want to acknowledge that first. Um, I thank you for the kind words. I, I've, I've worked with a lot of amazing athletes and people who have really risen above adversity. So it's hard for me to hear, uh, it's, it's hard for me to hear that. I love challenging myself. Uh, I've never been someone standing on podiums. Uh, yeah, I've, 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 I've had friends and I've worked with Olympic athletes and really some incredible athletes uh, who, who do just a great job. Uh, I've never been in that group. I've been in the, the group that's struggled to do things, hmm. uh, which has helped me help people better, I believe. Yep. Um, but I, I love taking on huge challenges uh, and I love it if, If it's like I look at my body and say, well, I don't think this is a body for uh, ultra distance swimming and then it just figured out how to do it. And uh, that's, to me, a lot of energy uh, comes from that. Uh, To the question on inner work, uh, I I have to deal with fears. I have to deal with worries. Uh, I love ice swimming as an example. I, I love doing very cold swimming, but every time I stand at the edge of the ice, or at the edge of a very cold lake, I have to breathe. I have to visualize. There, it does. It never gets easier. Mm. I'd love to say, yeah, it's easy. And, and someone might grab me on video, you know, jumping in the ice and say, yeah, this is great, I'm happy. What you don't see is the minutes before when I'm, I'm meditating or I'm visualizing and I'm trying to bring that calmness down uh, or bring the calmness into the picture that maybe in my mind is not quite there yet. Uh, so I, I think the... The tools that, that, that I teach people, and I know you teach people, uh, those, those mental tools, we, we have to use them on ourselves and believe in them ourselves.
0: Right. How about interpersonally? So, you know, I was just having a conversation with a client yesterday. Someone could, someone could know the material as a coach. Like, they know everything about whatever they coach about, but they don't necessarily have the, the art know the skill set in terms of engaging another human being and I'm wondering for you is that something that came naturally that you had the ability just to inspire motivate um, your clients or is that something you learned over time Were some of the hills you had to climb if there were any speaking of hills since you're a hill seeker in order to you know develop the capacities to engage another human being in that way
1: yeah i super good question I remember the first time I coached someone in, in a CrossFit workout back in 2009. I learned in that moment, I had one very good coach's voice and that was the motivator. Okay, Mr. Positive Energy motivator. It's the voice that I like to hear. Someone saying, you can do this. You got it. Come on, man. You're doing great. That voice, as my natural voice. And I remember this guy doing wall balls and I was right there beside him as he's doing wall balls. And I'm like, I grabbed the ball, I'm doing it with him. I'm like, come on, man, you got this. And he slams the ball down and just looks at me and says, everything you're saying right now, everything you're doing is making this worse for me. And he walked off, left the workout.
0: Holy shit.
1: <laughs> I was gutted. I was like, here I'm thinking, man, you're, you're a pretty good coach. And this guy just told me I was a terrible coach for him. Now you, you should have your own leave that. Uh, but the lesson for me was I needed to remove myself, uh, step a layer back and think uh, I'm here for the athlete. I'm here for the person. I'm here for whoever I'm speaking with and, and, and supporting. I needed to, to use the voice or the voices or the approach to help them, not necessarily what is in, what, what I want for myself. Uh, and that was a big moment and I needed to, to step back. And over the years, as I coach people, as I helped develop coaches to coach other people and teachers to teach others, uh, I always had that in mind. How can you read a situation, read a person and then select an angle and a voice and a way to reach them with them as the priority. And you can still let yourself, let yourself be there, let that authentic you be there, but it, it may mean you say just one word to them or you take a video and just show them the video. I, I remember as well, uh, coaching more advanced athletes or teaching people who were better athletes than me. Uh, your ego is involved. My mm-hmm. ego, their ego, that's a difficult thing to manage. And the thinking then was, okay, how do you diffuse ego? How do you bring it down a notch where everyone can move forward and no one's insulted? Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's, it's always a challenge, but there's, there's energy that comes in trying to unlock that challenge.
0: Would you say that your meditation and yogic practices have been helpful to um, decondition your ego or, or create some space between you and your reactive mind, if you want to put it that way, your ego? so you're more able to listen to what they need as opposed to how you want to show up in your own head for them?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think one of the biggest takeaways, one of the biggest lessons we can have from, from a meditation practice uh, is being able to see ourselves from the outside to witness ourselves. Um, sometimes I think of it as a like being a drone flying overhead. And mm-hmm. I used to call this the blimp and then we had drones, but before I used to think it was a blimp flying overhead and, and just looking down. Um, so if you're, if you've got that as a, as a daily practice, yep. even if it's a few minutes, and this is something I, I try to talk to people about a lot. Um, meditation's is a wonderful thing. Visualization, breath practices. Uh, I love having a morning ritual mm-hmm. uh, before I wrote my first book. I had a huge morning ritual and, that going through that ritual for half an hour or so it it enabled me to make very good progress on the book at the same time sometimes these morning rituals can become such a big ask to do Mm -hmm. daily with everything else in life that because it's a big ask someone says well i don't have the 15 minutes or the 20 or the 30 so i'm going to cut the whole thing and and i really try to encourage people even if it's a five minute practice even if it's setting a timer and breathing deeply for three minutes, and then just observing thoughts or focusing on the breath as you take each breath in or counting breaths for two minutes, that basic practice, that consistent practice, it does make an impact on, on how you view yourself, how you react to things during the day.
0: Right. So we talked a little bit about your, some of your physical training, some of the inner work you've done what about diet and nutrition what does that what role does that play for you as an athlete and for you as a coach
1: i'm getting uncomfortable with the question here
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> are you eating a piece of cake behind the scenes no no, no not yet no but a bit, maybe later no
1: no <laughs> i've been um, being just very open here i've struggled with weight forever mm. i mean i talked about being a heavy kid yeah right, right being a light kid and then Losing weight in uh, in high school, then gaining weight in college, and then this cycle—it's uh, it continued through my 30s. It's continued into my 40s. Uh, I've had some some. Usually, I develop the body for the sport I'm doing. So, okay. the years I was very much into ultra marathoning. Um, at the time, I thought I was fat, and I'd look at the photos now, and I was I was really lean and gaunt looking, like a lot of ultra runners look. Um, But then I transitioned into this seal fit uh, CrossFit world, where I became much stronger, put on a lot of muscle, the body changed. Uh, I spent years very focused on yoga, the body changed again. And then I went through a whole cycle focused on long distance swimming and cold water swimming. Body adapts again and changes. So during all of those years, there's been moments when nutrition has been very uh, dialed in. and, And what I would say very very clean, more structured, and and I felt very lean. And there's been years when I've thought, I'm training so much, I don't need to be this clean with nutrition. And then my body says, cool, then I'm gonna give you a lot of extra fat to carry around. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) So that's also, I I think as we we age, uh, it becomes different as well. And it's the metas- metabolism changes, maybe the sport changes, the daily activities change. So uh, the reason I said uncomfortable is because I'm right in a moment of trying to figure out what my nutrition should be uh, in my late 40s, doing the things I'm doing now. And I still train hard now. I still have all the outdoor sports uh, I love to do now. But it's something that it's not something I solved 20 years ago and then put on a shelf and just continue.
0: right, right, right. I think uh, you you make a great exemplar then for folks um, who are having those same difficulties, the, you know, the ups and downs. Uh, And I think, but I think it's also amazing too, the, how you just talked about how your body adapts to what you're training towards and working on. Um, I'm just curious, you, do you actually, I know you live in Switzerland. Are you up in the, actually up in the mountains where you live presently?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm close to a lake. I'm close to Lake Zurich now and about, it depends on how you define a mountain. A small mountain is right outside my door. Nice. Uh, the mountains you can ski on are about 15 minutes away. And the big, big mountains are within an hour away.
0: Since you, since you spent a lot of your time in nature, can you talk to us a little bit about the effects you've seen? Like they talk about biophilia? It's the, the new science that explores how nature has effects on human physiology, immune function, cognition, stress, et cetera, et cetera having gone from the corporate world where you're a rat in a maze running around (laughs) to living in a beautiful place like uh, Switzerland with the mountains and the lake, et cetera. Have you noticed a shift over the time, just in terms of your perspective, your overall health and well-being, recognizing that you put yourself under an immense amount of stress with some of the physical activities you do?
1: Yeah. Difficult question for me to decide which angle, because there's the, Uh, Where you're living in countries and cultures and infrastructure, and also just having more outdoors time. So I I think I'd like to take the question first, just from the the more time in the outdoors, Mm -hmm. more time in the more time in nature. Uh, I I still have to spend time in nature, even if it's not my job and I'm not working. Uh, So if it's if it's something I'm, I I still need to go for myself and be in nature. Uh, I'm fortunate now that as part of my job, I also take people into, uh, take people into nature. Uh, And often I'm taking people who are experiencing uh, burnouts or or, breakdowns or very, very, very stressed with jobs. Uh, Oftentimes these are high level managers, people uh, with a lot of responsibility and they've reached a a breaking point Uh, or it's people with addictions or other, other things that are happening in their life when they're, so they're receiving treatment. And part of that treatment is to spend time nature and it's it's so interesting for me to to see i'm not giving them therapy so but we're in nature we're hiking up a mountain we're walking we're paddling on a lake and you just see this this peace come to people and you see uh you see them start to look around yeah. At the beginning, maybe their 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 mind is everywhere else. They're they're maybe it's on a phone if they have their phone with them, and I can't make them put the phone away. Um, but I don't want to force someone to look at a waterfall. I don't want to point out, ah, what a beautiful tree that is. Uh, what I love to see is when they actually, on their own, connect with the world that's around them, and they start to heal and receive some peace just from some from beautiful nature around and. Right. Yeah, that's anywhere in the world that has nature, you you can have this this connection with it in this experience.
0: I think it's awesome that uh, you you intentionally bring your clients into that space, especially the ones who are talking you know close to burnout or already are burning out, recognizing the extreme value of a natural surrounding to reducing stress, improving immune function, improving cognition, et cetera, et cetera. So good for your clients, man. For Both the physical training you offer them and the beautiful locations you offer them to train in. Um, Social media, where can people find more about your work, your books, lectures, anything you got going on?
1: I thought you were gonna ask, I thought you were gonna ask, um, how do I feel about using social media? And that was gonna be another. (laughs) (laughs) I was already ready for this.
0: (laughs) Okay, we can go there. How do you feel about using social media? (laughs) Before you talk about all your social media accounts.
1: Love, hate, go ahead.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> all you want to love, say about social media? <laughs>
1: love, hate, relationship uh, with social media in general. Um, I love, and, and this is, this is I'm, I'm echoing something that many people say, um, but I feel it. So I love the positivity. I love the uh, connections and discussion. And, and I, I'm, a, I'm a team-oriented person. So I love the idea of us, uh, us being humanity, helping each other through life across cultures, across uh, whatever language you speak, where you live, what you love to do. I, I love the idea of us moving forward. Uh, that, that part of social media, I love. The part of the negativity on social media, uh, it, it just, it aches me. Yeah. Uh, so I'd love to use it to connect to people. I have to use it in my business for marketing. Yeah. Um, and I keep trying to master not caring about the negative stuff and that's just hard. It's it's hard to be selective. Uh, I think you do a great job with with what you put out on social media with sharing things and, and oh, getting people to discuss and consider things. So I, I look up to you oh. on how you do this. Thank you. And even if it's things people don't, the audience may not all agree, but it's putting out good content, good for discussion and not just upsetting people and forcing one way of thinking that's the
0: I'll I'll tell you something really funny I appreciate the the compliment so I went to an ancestral health conference in Berkeley many many years ago and I ended up having having a conversation with a guy we follow each other on Twitter but we actually never met and he said I love the stuff you put out on Twitter but what happens to you about twice a year I'm like what are you talking about he goes you you're pretty calm and cool and centered the whole year and you ask questions and put out content, blah, 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 blah. But twice a year you just seem to go a little nuts, get really angry. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> well, that's a- <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that it was like the best thing you tracked me over years. I can see you no know, know that twice a year I'm I'm a little frustrated wow. with certain certain topics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man. So okay. So your original question. <laughs> yes. You on social media, where can people find out about your books, working with you as a coach? Yeah. So in general,
1: Hill Hillseeker. hillseeker.com is my main website. Uh, Hillseeker is my, uh, is my Instagram and Twitter uh, tag. So there's uh, yeah, good, good, easy to find me there. And uh, on Facebook, I have a page, uh, I think coach Jeff Grant, or Jeff Grant, coach and author, something like that. So a few different places I'm around.
0: Nice. Now, usually we just kind of close out by saying thank you, Jeff, for coming on, blah, 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 but we're going to do it a little differently. You're going to play us some music, right? And wow. while you're getting your instrument to play us music as we finish up today's conversation, I actually do want to say thank you for coming on, Jeff. It's uh, great to reconnect with you, hear what you got going on. Congratulations on your soon-to-be-released two books Make sure to include in the show notes, uh, you know, links to your uh, previously written books and your other work as well. And uh, maybe like a minute of some music would be great.
1: (laughs) I'll just show you my ukulele. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say with music uh, it's, it's, I've I've never been a professional musician, but I studied music in college and I love it. I have a a few dozen instruments around my house. And for me, this is how, uh, when I'm trying to write or be productive, Uh, And my mind's all over the place. This is one way I I calm my mind. This is picking up an instrument, uh, playing on the instrument. And ukulele is is just a nice one. Uh, Whenever I'm traveling, I like to bring my ukulele with me because it's easy. It fits in the suitcase.
0: Jeff Grant, thank you.